us. All right. <laughs> I guess that's a thing forever now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Wednesday, May 26th. May 26th, 2021. It is great to see you all. Um, what is special about today? Well, it's graduation day at Town Jewish Preschool. That I know for sure. And it is a, another day to study Torah and to connect with the daily reading. So I'm going to pull up the Torah portion on my end and share that with you. Um, Torah portion is Bahalotcha. And we have a lot of cool things to get to. All right. All set here. Let's do some sharing. Sharing is caring. Okay. Yesterday we spoke about Pesach Sheni, the second Passover. Or we spoke about two second Passovers. The second Passover in history on the one-year anniversary and how they brought a Paschal Lamb. And we also spoke about the fact that there were people who were ritually impure who requested from God, who requested from Moses a second chance. And that God granted that second chance and said, no problem, you guys are, are A-OK in my book. Do it a month later. And we learned about the value of knocking on the door, because not because we're chutzpah not because of chutzpah, but because, partially because of that, but also because we know that God wants us to show a little bit of a little bit of effort on our side so that he's not the only one doing, doing all the heavy lifting in this relationship. So that's that. We also spoke about the, the notion of it's never too late. Hi, Ray. Good to see you. Can you hear me? You're good? All right. Awesome. No worries. No worries. I'm glad, I'm glad you jumped on. All right. So we're about to start the fourth reading for Wednesday. This is number, number chapter 9, verse number 15. And here we talk about the cloud. You know, in, in computers... The cloud is like the big innovation, the big deal. Instead of hosting all the files and all the information on your computer, it's in the cloud, which by the way, just means it's on someone else's computer. There is no actual cloud, right? It's, it's really on someone else's computer that you're accessing remotely. Be that as it may, we talk about the Jewish cloud or the spiritual cloud of the divine cloud that traveled with the Jewish people throughout their journeys. Here we go. On the day the Mishkan, the tabernacle, was erected. Remember that was the first of Nisan, the year 2449. Almost one year from the Exodus. So on that day, the cloud covering the Mishkan, which was a tent for the testimony, and at evening... Sorry, on the day the Mishkan was erected, the cloud covered the Mishkan, which was a tent for the testimony, and at evening... There was over the Mishkan like an appearance of fire, which remained until morning. So basically, on the Mishkan, there was a cloud by day and a fire by night. Verse 16, so it was always. The cloud covered it, and there was an appearance of fire at night. It actually doesn't say that the cloud was only by day, but I think the understanding is that the cloud was by day and the fire was at night. And I'm going to share an insight, which I love on this, which I've shared before, but which I always try to remind myself about. And that is that during the day, it's bright. At night, it's dark. And what we see here is a contrast, right? During the day, there's a cloud, which means even in the happy moments, we have to remember that the world is not perfect. 
even in our moments of daylight, in our moments of joy, we have to recall all those that are still in pain, still suffering, the world that's still not healed, Mashiach that's still not here, and we have to be motivated to keep on going and never be complacent. And when it's at night, when it's dark outside, when we're either collectively in a negative state or individually in a, in a, in a negative state, which can mean so many different things, you know, and, and, and I mean all of the above, but when things are difficult, when it's at night, we have to always have the fire burning. Always remember that better times are ahead, that there is light at the end of every tunnel, that every cloud, I don't want to mix metaphors here, does have a silver lining. So again, during the day, there's a cloud. When things are good, remember what still needs to be fixed. Don't become too confident and, and, and complacent. And when things are not so good, let's not be despondent. Let's always remain hopeful and trustworthy for a, a greater, a, greater um, uh, a better future and a better, a better opportunity up ahead. I want to show you a book that I plan on teaching soon. DPP is our, is our ground for um, breaking news. This is where I break all the news. So just, just so you know. All the stuff that ultimately gets, gets released, you guys saw it here first. This is a brand new book that came out. It was published Where's the publishing information? This was published 2021. Just like a month or two ago. Okay, it's called Shar Habitachon, the gate or gate of trust from Chovot Halavavot. This from Rabbeinu Bechaya. This is an unbelievable book. It's all about it's all about fostering and developing and and nurturing our trust in Hashem. Many times when people wrote letters to the Rebbe about what they, the struggles that they were going through, whether they were financial or physical or emotional or psychological, right? On, on every, every issue you can imagine, the Rebbe would often, not always, but many times reference this book, Gate of Trust, with the idea that the more we trust in Hashem, the more we can deal with the stuff that life throws at us. This is an unbelievable work. It dates back nearly a thousand years. And it's a classic book in, in Jewish literature. Again, just published. They did an amazing job. I'm opening up to a random page just so you see the layout. Hebrew, English, and commentary. It's really, really beautiful. In Hebrew, English, commentary. We're going to be studying it. Um, I think this may be our new Thursday night text. That's what I'm thinking. We finished Tanya. I think this might be a good Thursday night um, thing. So I'm working on just setting the dates. I mean, it really will be a start date, and then we'll just... Keep on going. And this is Kahat Publication Society, the, Ch the Chabad publisher. So you go to kihot.com, K-E-H-O-T.com, and Gate of Trust. It's gorgeous. I don't know if you could see the cover. It's like a matte white or grayish white with like gold and blue embossing. It's really, it's metallic embossing. It's really, it's really well done. I mentioned this because it fits in with the fire at night paradigm, right? When things are difficult, right? We have to have that fire. And sometimes the fire comes from within and sometimes it comes from without. Maybe it comes from a good friend. Maybe it comes from a parent or a sibling. Maybe it comes from a child. Maybe it comes from a book. 
Maybe it comes from, you know, spiritual exploration or a rabbi. Whatever it is, when things are difficult, we have to have that fire. We have to have something that we can go to to make sure that we're able to, to keep on moving forward because at the end of the day, that's what we're meant to do. So during the day, remember, it's not perfect. There's still room for improvement. There's still more to accomplish. Don't become complacent and become, you know, take your eye off the ball. Always keep on pushing forward. And when it's at night, keep the fire going. So daytime is a cloud and nighttime is a fire. Let's jump back and, yeah. Is cloud, is that a good translation from the Hebrew? Because I don't know, sometimes when you think of cloud, you think that it's like cloudy, not clear. Sometimes it's definitely cloud. Yeah, definitely Anan. Anan. Anan is cloud. Yeah, it's a cloud and a cloud is usually gray and dreary and and it creates darkness. And that's actually the point. Like when things are going great, it's like what Joseph said to Pharaoh. You're going to have seven years of plenty, but think about the years of famine that are going to follow. If you don't, then that's going to hit you really hard. So even when things are good, it's important to not be like, not be um, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like all melancholy when everything's going great, like you can't even enjoy it. That's not, that's not the intention. Intention is a little bit of perspective, a little bit of a balance, right? As the previous Rebbe once said, life is like a Ferris wheel. I think he saw the, fir- I think he, first time he saw the Ferris wheel, he's like, oh, this is a great analogy, right? Life is like a Ferris wheel. Sometimes you're at the top, Sometimes you're at the bottom, but you have to know either way, it keeps on moving. So when it's at top, when you're at the top, don't become too, you know, sure of yourself. It's, things change. And if you're at the bottom, you know, there's, there's only up from here. So that's the idea of staying positive. All right, let's jump back in. Um, verse 16, we'll do this again. So it was always the cloud covered it and there was a, an appearance of fire at night. Verse 17. Take a look at this. And according to the clouds, departure from over the tent. And afterwards, the children of Israel would travel. You see that? According to the clouds, departure from, from over the tent. The tent is the, the Mishkan building, like the covered space. When the cloud departed, that's when they were travel. So if the cloud was, imagine, and I, saw, I told you about that book that I saw that. I love that book. It's like, imagine like a... a, a um, like a flat, like desert landscape. And this beautiful, you know, multi-layered encampment all around, right? Imagine that. And then imagine this, you know, beautiful tabernacle and a cloud right above, right? It's kind of a cool, a cool visual to, to picture. Hey, Matt, welcome. Welcome to the party. So um, when it would lift, that was the signal Let's go, folks. Pack up because we're marching forward. And they would follow the cloud, right? This is cloud navigation. So they would travel. And in the place where the cloud settled, you see that? In the place where the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would encamp. They would follow the cloud. It's like those, those old New York City movies where somebody jumps in a cab and says, follow that taxi. I remember those. Remember the good old days when people used to say that in movies? Now it's like Uber, who even knows what's going on? Follow the thing, no one's following anything. Where do you need to go? I'm not following anything, not happening. You get into an old taxi cab, they'll do whatever you want. Those taxi drivers, unbelievable, incredible. All right, so basically they would follow the cloud. Where the cloud went, they would move, and when it stopped, when it hovered, that's where they set up camp and the Mishkan once again. 
And all of this, of course, was based on God's navigation. At the bidding of the Lord, the children of Israel traveled, and at the bidding of the Lord, they encamped. As long as the cloud hovered above the Mishkan, they encamped. When the cloud, you're probably thinking, all right, I got it, but the Torah is going to elaborate on this. When the cloud lingered over the Mishkan for many days, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not travel. In other words, they stayed put. Sometimes the cloud remained for several days above the Mishkan. At the Lord's bidding, they encamped, and at the Lord's bidding, they traveled. Sometimes, however, I'm adding that however, the cloud remained only, I'm adding that word also, from evening until morning. In other words, the cloud only stayed put for one day. And when the cloud departed in the morning, they traveled. Or the cloud remained for a day and a night, and when the cloud departed, they traveled. So, in summation, verse 22, whether it was for two days, a month, or a year, that the cloud lingered to hover over the Mishkan, the children of Israel would encamp and not travel. And when it departed, they traveled. So it could be there for, for one day, 24 hours, and now it's time to move again. It could be for much longer. You might be, let's finish off. At the Lord's bidding, they would encamp, and at the Lord's bidding, they would travel. They kept the charge of the Lord by the word of the Lord through Moses. Okay, and it was clear that they were following this cloud, following God's navigation for a day, a few days, a month, a year, etc. One thing I need to add on, which is the Hasidic masters say this, the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, would say this, that this is not only the way things used to be. It still works like this today. What do I mean? What I mean is that we're still traveling based on divine navigation, even if we're not aware of it. The journeys that we take through life, everything is guided by Hashem. God guides the footsteps of human beings. God guides our travels, even when we think it's we who are choosing where to go and who to see and all that stuff. Hashem, God is still behind the scenes guiding us, you know, just making things work out just ever so subtly, or maybe not so subtly, to put us where we need to be. If you are skeptical about this concept, I ask you, as, I have, as I've asked you before, think about the choices that you've made in your life, right, that have led you to where you are, and really ask yourself the question, how much, did, how much of it was me making that choice versus circumstances, right, that kind of made sense for me to make that choice. Like, well, starting with birth, we didn't choose to be born. We didn't choose which family to be born into. We didn't choose which, which schools and type of education that we grew up in. We didn't choose our city, our hometowns. We didn't choose any of that, right? And all of that shapes us, our youth shapes us, and then that kind of determines on some level, we don't believe in determinism, in a, in a hard and fast determinism, but, because there is free choice, but there are a lot of factors that go into our so-called free choices, right? And then we chose where to go to school, and we met people there, and, 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 and then we knew people in a city. So we moved there, and, and meanwhile, turns out that although we chose to be in that place, there's a lot that conspired to make that choice not, not only viable, but attractive. And a lot of that was outside of our... Was outside of our um, control. And so in this way, Hashem ultimately is the one who's guiding us. Even if we're not aware of it, Hashem doesn't mind be operating behind the scenes. But Hashem guides us where we need to be, just like He did in the ancient times in the desert. By the cloud navigation, God navigates our lives as well. Right.
Yeah, well, Rabbi, it's hard for me to accept that with what's going on today for Jewish people, whether, whether they're innocently standing on a corner in New York and they get beat up by these crowds of people. It's happening in several cities, and it's hard for me to accept that this is what Hashem wants. I can't accept it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you that Hashem does not want violence. Hashem does not want... Um, does not does not want um, Jews to be harassed and and beat up and anti-Semitism to happen. I would I would strongly agree with you on that. My intention here is again maybe more of a general statement that God guides us through life where we need to be. In other words, like major areas where we need to be in kind of the avoda, the different works that we need to do in life. Now, how, how does God allow anti-Semitism to happen? I'm going to chalk that up to the questions that I, that I don't have the answer to. I'm going to put that in the category of why did, why did God allow the Holocaust to happen? Why did God allow the Inquisition to happen? How does God allow suffering? How does God allow illness and sickness and, 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 and loss? I don't have an answer to that. And I would not say that God is the one who's making that person get beat up, God forbid. Um, and yet we believe that God guides the footsteps of human beings where they need to be. How to reconcile that? I, I hear your question. I, 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 don't, I don't have a good answer for it. Um, I personally am okay with not having a good answer. In other words, I believe that God guides the footsteps, that people have free choice, that evil is a possibility. Why does God allow that? How come God doesn't intervene? I don't have a good answer for that. We could say that God wants us to, to, to fix it, but it would be certainly, I think... Um, Rabbi? Quicker if he fixed it, yeah. But so, if in the Torah time, God's hand was visible, the cloud. Right. So that stopped when this after the second temple destruction. Yeah. So God's visible hand, you know, to a certain extent, stopped after the forty years. They didn't get the money from heaven. They didn't have the cloud navigation. They did have prophets and communication, and and they saw miracles. So it, it kind of, I would say, it kind of got less and less after the temple, second temple. Yeah, it's, um, we're pretty much on our own. By the way, without giving too much away, this is one of the themes we'll talk about in tomorrow's JLI class. This can happen. Um, the idea of kind of the difference between God doing it for us by, you know, showing us the miracles and showing us, you know, it, with clarity and then more of the invisible hand, so to speak, and us kind of choosing our own way. Knowing also that it's guided, but consciously, you know, um, uh, putting in the effort ourselves. Okay, let's continue. All right. Uh, Numbers chapter 10. And now we talk about some additional items in the Mishkan. All right, we have 10 verses, all doable. Let's do this. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Make for yourself doesn't mean for Moses, it makes for, for the Jewish people, two silver trumpets. We've never had these trumpets before. We talked about the tabernacle, we talked about all of the items and the materials, and now suddenly we need trumpets. God says, let's make this happen. You shall make them from a beaten form, and that's, that means always, beaten form means, do you guys remember what that means? When it says that it's made of a beaten form, it means that it's made out of one piece of hammered out metal. Not um, welded together, not a composite, 
but a unibody construction, as uh, Apple used to call their MacBook. Uni maybe they still do. A unibody construction out of one piece of material. Um, they shall be used. Now, what are we using these silver trumpets for? What's, what, what, what's, what's the utility? They shall be used by you to summon the congregation. It's like the old PA system. And to announce the departure of the camps. Oh, that makes sense. We just talked about the cloud. So maybe people are not looking up. Maybe they're in their tent just chilling, right? You know, watching Netflix or something. So you get the trumpets out. You sound the trumpets. Boom, now you know. Let's pack up. Um, and you could tell, by the way, also that they live pretty um, streamlined lives. If they had to pick up and move within a matter of hours, I mean, they moving a, a, a people of a few million would take a while if everybody really like had all their tchotchkes out and you know set up all their stuff. So you imagine they, they lived a probably very streamlined um, existence. Uh, verse number three: When they blow on them, that's the trumpets. The entire congregation shall assemble to you at the tent, sorry, at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So again, when the shofar is sounded, then everybody gathers, right? We have an assembly. If they blow one of them, so that's if they blow both trumpets. If they blow one of them, the princes, the leaders of Israel's thousands shall convene to you. So if it's kind of like a cabinet meeting, you know, just the leaders, one trumpet is sounded. If it's a communal gathering, both trumpets are sounded. All right, well, here we go. Let's get more details. There's a whole system here in the, in the signaling. Verse 5, when you blow a trua, a trua is a series of short blasts. There should be a brackets after this. There's a typo here. That, that should be in brackets, but it should end right there after the um, blast. So when you blow a trua, which is a series of short blasts, the camps which are encamped to the east shall travel. Remember, the eastern tribes, there were four on the east, four in the south, four in the west, four on the northern side of the Mishkan. And the order was exactly that, east, south. No, it was maybe. I think, I think maybe it was. You know, we'll see right here. Um... Yeah, I think it was east, south, west, north. I think that was the order of, of traveling. So when you blow the Trua, there's a series of short blasts. Then the, the camps which are encamped to the east, those are the first three tribes, they shall travel. When you blow a second Trua, the camps encamped to the south shall travel. They shall blow a Trua for traveling. And, and the implication here is that every time you do another series of those short blasts, the next group picks up. So you want it staggered, right? Because we're moving kind of in this, in these lines, in these waves of tribes. So you want to get the first tribes out and then you blow a series of additional blasts. That's a signal for the second set of tribes. You do it again, etc., etc. Okay. But when assembling the congregation, which I spoke about before, you shall blow a tekiah, which is the long blast, but not a trua. So when it's time to gather everybody, Right, the long tekiah. When a bow chauffeurs, when you're trying to gather the leadership, just one. When you're trying to move out, it's a series of short blasts. Now, who should blow the uh, the trumpets? I was about to say the chauffeur, but who's blowing the trumpets? The descendants of Aaron, the priests. They shall blow the trumpets. This shall be an eternal statute 
for your generations. In other words, not only in, in, in desert times, but also in temple times, in Israel times, this was a thing that the trumpets were blown only by the Kohanim. If you go to war in your land, right, because you might have thought, well, in Israel they weren't traveling, it wasn't traveling through the desert, so why would they blow the, uh, the trumpets? Here you go, verse 9. If you go to war in your land against an adversary that oppresses you, which is essentially an a defensive war, right? There's an enemy that's oppressing you and you go to war against them. So here's another valid use of the trumpets. You shall blow a trua with the trumpets and be remembered before the Lord your God and thus be saved from your enemies. So this trua sound is actually acting in good stead for the Jewish people. On the days of your rejoicing, on your festivals, and on your new moon celebrations, you know what that is, right? New moon celebrations. It sounds very new agey. Yeah, it's Rosh Chodesh, right? So on all these special days, you shall blow on the, on your, on the trumpets for your ascent offerings and your peace offerings. And it shall be a remembrance before you, before your God, I am the Lord your God. So we have this really beautiful idea of these trumpets that are really a multi-purpose experience. I want to see if we got some Rashi's here. Um, let's see, let's see. Here we go. Take a look. Uh, that the, the, These trumpets were sounded to announce the departure of the camps. Rashi says, at the time the camps are due to depart, blow on them, on the trumpets, as a signal. It follows that they traveled at the behest of three, at God's bidding, by the word of Moses, and by the call of the trumpets. Now, the trumpets didn't blow themselves, but it means God gave the initial signal, Moses gave out the word, and then the trumpets were sounded. And beaten, as I said before, that's a, that's a signal, right? That's a cue, it should be, or a clue, it should be made out of a single block of silver by banging it with a hammer. And this, again, shows about integrity. When we're going out to war, when we're going to, you know, combat um, kind of, oh, joy, I see, like a buffet. Oh, where you call out in waves? Was that, yeah, exactly, yes. Or like, I'm thinking camp, when you would dismiss the bunks from the lunchroom. It's like to activities. It's like, all right, bunk Aleph. You're first, bunk bays, you're next, bunk gimel, right? Like, slow down, cow. Like, not everybody at the same time. Um, so it's interesting. Certain things were made out of a single block, which shows this idea of, of the importance of integrity, of, like, not having, you know, multiple parts, being, like, like holistic, almost. So we have this in reference to the kruvim, to the cherubs, which um, were these angelic, childlike-faced figurines um, that were over the ark, which housed the Torah, the Ten Commandments. And like the message there is, when you're teaching children Torah, it's got to be pure. No composite. Like, no, just, just give the truth. Like, just teach Torah. Don't, don't weld it together. Don't start, you know, making it complicated. Or, you know, just, just, just give it over purely. You have the idea of the menorah. You know, the menorah is also hammered out of a single block of gold. Well, that's also significant. Menorah is is also Torah, and it means not with kids necessarily, but with adults. Like when we study Torah, it's got to be holistic, 
right? Not composite, holistic. Um, and then the final piece is the is, is uh, the silver trumpets, which were also made out of a single block. And that means when we're fighting for what's right, we have to be confident. We have to have that 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 unibody construction, so to speak, not welded, not like well maybe this and that. It's like when you have too many cracks, the whole thing breaks apart. The Rebbe said many times, just talking about Israel for a moment. If Israel were a little, I'm, I'm not saying this. I'm not speaking to the present or to the you know very recent conflict necessarily. I'm not calling anybody out. But in general, the Rebbe's perspective was: the more confident Israel is, the more secure it is, and the, and the more lives on both sides will be saved. It's almost like, I, you know, what I, I want to give this example. I feel, and and I'll I'll end with this. It's like I want to give you a scenario. Family scenario. Imagine it's 5 p.m. in my house. So, you know, some kids are around, 5 p.m. And, you know, maybe dinner is being prepared. It's, it's, it's up. And a kid comes over to me and says, can I have um, a cookie, some ice cream, or whatever it is? Let's do a cookie. Can I have a cookie? So let's say I make this face like, oof, cookie, uh, uh, I don't know. Like supper's coming up, dinner's happening soon. You know, I, don't, I don't know if it's a good idea. I think, you know, it's going to, I don't know if you need a cookie right now or if you need a cookie at all. It's probably not a good idea. Right? Imagine I say that. So some kids will be like, okay, fine. But the more enterprising children will say, but they'll start negotiating, right? Why? Why, why will they negotiate? Because I didn't give a very convincing no. I said, well, it was a composite no, right? It wasn't a holistic, I, I'm using the word holistic, I don't know if that's the right word. It wasn't a unibody no, it wasn't like an absolute hammer out of one piece of metal, no two parts to it, no. It was a no with a little bit of a, of a, of a maybe welded to it, right? But imagine, same scenario, right before dinner, imagine I have up... Uh, some, I don't know, I think tonight we're making meatballs or something, whatever. Let's say there's something meat on the menu, okay? And kid comes over to me at 5 p.m., it's going to be right, let's say, 5.30, and says, can I have some ice cream, dairy ice cream? I'll say no. No, you can't have dairy before meat within an hour. I mean, in supper is 5.30. No way, not, not doable. You know what the child is going to say? Okay. Why? Because it's not a composite answer. And I'm using a weird terminology, and I know that, but I'm... going to say, can I have a cookie? Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll say, well, better not. And then get myself back into negotiations. Right? But we know this in life. Right? The more clear things are, the more clear things are. When things are, uh, it just creates all sorts of things. So the Torah says, when going out to war, sound the silver trumpets... The silver trumpets that are made from one piece of metal. If you're going to battle for truth, if you're going to defend yourself, make sure you're not conflicted yourself. Right? You ask somebody today, does Israel ask a Jew? Does Israel have the right to defend herself? And you take, poll like 100 Jews, not even 100 Jews, poll 10 Jews, and see if all 10 say absolutely, or if there's some sort of qualification. Well, 
sure, but, and then you've, and then uh, it just creates things. And, and I know it's a complicated situation and I, I know it's complicated. That's why I'd rather not speak of any specific, you know, stuff. The Rebbe's position in general about Israel was the more straightforward it is, the clearer it is, and then the other side knows where they stand. You say, that's it. We're not, we're not, we're not giving away land. Unless, and then it's, oh, so then, so then we can get more. If we, if we really push, if we really rally the troops, if we really hurt you, we could get. Doesn't that encourage that on the other side? The Rebbe said giving away land in negotiations or as in response to terrorism doesn't end the problem, right? There's no way, the math doesn't even work on that. Doesn't end the problem. Now, so I understand what, what, what question comes next. So then what do you do? And sorry, guys, I got to go. It's, uh, it's almost time. But here's, which is true also. I don't, I don't have a magical answer. I'm just saying that when there's clarity, it works better for both sides, right? The child that gets the clear, no, it's dairy and it's meat. It's like, it's not going to work. It's like, okay, accepts it. When it's no, because, well, maybe the cookie, ah, the child's like, feels, feels that they were perhaps even treated unfair with that no. Because why not? Anyway, all right, I got to run. Um, thanks for joining. What's the, so what's this moral of the story? The moral of the story is we have to be strong. We have to be strong in our convictions. And the stronger we are, the better it is for everybody. All right, we'll see you later. Have a wonderful day. Take care.